Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC 285, Johnny Bones Jones versus Cyril Gan for the undisputed UFC heavyweight championship of the world. And it's going down this Saturday night live at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. You got, I want to say the baddest man on the planet, but not, not yet. Not yet. He's got to win the belt first, but we got the GOAT, the greatest fighter in the history of the sport, Johnny Bones Jones, taking on, I mean, Cyril Gant, he's a bad boy. He's the former interim champ, and he's the kind of guy that you don't often see at heavyweight. I mean, when's the last time you saw a heavyweight that that moves around like, like a middleweight, right? But he's also, you know, weighing 250 pounds. He's a big boy. I just cannot wait to break this fight down. And then when you talk about the great John Jones, I mean, what record does John Jones not have? I mean, they kind of fucked him with that Matt Hamill, you know, situation because officially it says his record is 26 and one. But between you and me, his record is 28 and oh, the man has never lost a fight before. Uh, he did not lose to Matt Hamill. <laughs> that's for sure. And then people try to say, oh, uh, Tiago, he lost to Tiago. Yeah, bullshit. I scored the Tiago fight four to one, John Jones. So then they say the Dominic Reyes fight is the one that he lost. And that one was a little closer. That one was a little closer. But, you know, I saw uh, Dominic Reyes win the first two rounds. I saw John Jones win the next three. That's 48-47, Johnny Bones Jones. So let's break down the main event, and then we'll break down the entire card all the way from the co-main event with Valentina and Grasso down to the first fight of the night, down to the Mana Martinez's versus uh for simons and all that so we're gonna do the whole thing so without further ado let's do it here we go main event of the evening for not only that ufc heavyweight belt but for the status of baddest man on the planet we got the goat johnny bones jones it says he's 26 and one uh but he's actually 28 and oh taking on cyril bongamin gan who's 11 and one and currently they got it Johnny Bones minus 155. The comeback on Cyril Gan is plus 135. So, what a fight! I mean, unbelievable, right? So, where do we start with this breakdown? There's a lot of things to discuss. So, a lot of people have been putting a lot of stock into the training partners that John Jones has been, you know, bringing into this camp and and all that kind of stuff. And honestly, I think it's perfect. My view of the people that John Jones has been bringing in is like completely different than everybody else's because not trying to be arrogant, but I think people don't really understand how training camps are supposed to work. So when they see, uh, they hear that John Jones brought in Walt Harris, they hear he brought in Mike Rodriguez, they hear he brought in Maurice Green and all these guys, they're like, oh my God, he, he's training with low level UFC guys or former UFC guys. And it's like, what is John Jones supposed to bring in champs to train with? Like, that the way camps work is the camp revolves around you. Not to mention these guys that he brought in, I think are perfect looks. Let me explain what I mean. So can we agree? Okay. Look, Walt Harris, right? Six foot five Southpaw, just like Cyril Gan. But the criticism for Walt Harris in the UFC is similar to the criticism for like Mike Rodriguez or Maurice Green or Jorgen DeCastro or any of these guys that John Jones brought in. The criticism is all these guys have one hard round in them. And then after that, they fade. Maybe their ground games aren't the best, but all those guys could bang. So the way I view it is like this. John Jones, he gets to go with Walt Harris for one round while Walt is fresh. 
Next round, he gets Mike Rodriguez while Mike Rodriguez is fresh. Next round, he gets Maurice Green while Maurice Green is fresh. Next round, he gets uh, Jorgen Castro while he's fresh. And then he gets Walt Harris again while Walt got to rest for those last couple rounds, whereas Jones isn't getting any rest. So he gets to go up against these guys um, while they're fresh. And they are good looks for one round at least. And, and, and let me and let me say something else. So people are bringing up, oh, these are the guys that that Jones is training with, right? Who the fuck is Cyril Gan training with? That's what I want to know because every clip I've seen of the guys Cyril Gan is training with, they're either little dudes, like I'm saying, like little guys, right? Like he's training with the little guys. The one big guy <laughs> that Cyril Gan has with him is Alan Bado. Who uh, I mean, I don't know if y'all remember him from his UFC run. If you want to criticize John Jones's training partners, let's criticize Cyril Gans real quick. Because look, Walt Harris at least made it to the top 15 of the UFC. Like all these guys, like Mike Rodriguez knocked out Marcin Prashnio in the first round. Like all these guys uh, that John Jones brought in are at least dangerous for a round. And that's all he needs them for, them to be fresh for that one round to give him a, a good look of at least someone that's been in the UFC, someone that can strike. So. I think Jones is getting the best possible look, not not to mention he's not training with that fraud, you know, uh, Mike Winkle John anymore. He's not training with Greg Jackson. He's training at the other Jacksons, right? They're doing their own thing. So, you know, it's not it's not the Jacksons that hasn't won a fight in 20 years. Right. He, he's working with uh, with the other Jacksons and he's got basically the camp is revolved around him. So I like it. I like all that. Now, stylistically speaking. You know, I like the fact that Jones took three years off because you think about it, you can't just go from 205 to fighting dudes that are 265 just, you know, six months later, right? You got to put on the size the right way and taking three years off from what I heard. Now, I could be wrong. From what I heard, these three years, this man was not on the couch just, you know, you know, hitting the bong and reminiscing on the days when he was the man and this and that and, uh, yeah, I mean, like at the end of the day, uh, this dude's been training for all three years that he's been gone. So I expect, you know, ring rust with certain guys, but I expect them to come in here and uh, and look good. So, but how do they match up stylistically? You know, Cyril Gan, he's got fantastic volume. I mean, when you look at these numbers that this guy's put up, I mean, you can't talk shit about going in there with Tuivasa. It was supposed to be a five round fight. Three full rounds and even pass. He already landed over 100 significant strikes against Volkov, 135 significant strikes in a five round fight against Jerzino, 102 significant strikes. So we know uh, Gan can put up the numbers, but we also know John Jones can put up the numbers too, whether it was against Reyes, whether it was against Smith, whether it was against Ovince, right? Like, so Jones has put up numbers against Gustafsson the first time. Um, Jones has put up those numbers too. So I think the volume is going to be. I don't think one guy is going to have a significant volume edge in this fight. I think that the volume is going to be really competitive. And honestly, I think that it's going to be a bit of a chess match these first couple rounds. And, and people keep talking about how, well, all Jones has to do is just take him down. And, you know, we saw in the Francis fight that Cyril can't get up from bottom and this and that. And the guy's going to go for leg locks. He's going to do the whole bit. And the thing you got to understand is that firstly, Francis is a much larger man than John Jones. Secondly, Francis caught Cyril with that element of surprise. When you're training to fight Francis and Gano, you're not thinking about, oh, Francis is going to come out here and, and take me down. You're thinking about, hey, Francis has got 
the he's the Mike Tyson of MMA. He's got that ridiculous one hitter quitter. That's what we got to look out for. Whereas here in this camp, training for a guy like John Jones, you know that wrestling might be a part. The thing about John Jones is he likes to beat people at their own game. And that's one of the things that like for certain guys, you know, you try to beat people at their own game and it's an it's an ego thing. And it definitely is a bit of an ego thing here, too. But he's he's beat every single guy he's fought and he's beat them at their own game. I mean, he went in there against Daniel Cormier and, and took him down three times. Um, he's been in there with. I mean, these last few guys with, with uh, Tiago Maheta Santos, he stood up with him for five straight rounds. So, I mean, I think that uh, that Jones is going to kickbox with Cyril Gaon for for these first couple rounds, right? But eventually, I think that Jones is going to mix in a takedown attempt. But I don't think it's going to be right when the fight starts. He's going to be shooting from a mile out, make it you know telegraphed. I think he's going to try to kickbox with, with Cyril Gaon, and. Here's uh, some things about the kickboxing, right? Like, I think they're going to play that chess match. I think they're going to throw sidekicks to each other's knees, oblique kicks, the whole ordeal, right? Uh, a little bit of volume striking. Now, Jones was never known for his one-punch power. Like, when you – okay, if you – John Jones at 205, especially during his prime, if you were creating a fighter in the video game, you max out all the stats to 10, right? Volume, 10. Fight IQ, 10. Cardio, 10 like toughness 10 wrestling 10 right all these things right but the one thing you wouldn't max out to 10 for john jones at 205 was the punching power that's the one thing that like like he's amazing everywhere he just doesn't have that one hitter quitter like i don't i don't know the science behind it is it your bone structure or what what bones bone structure but i don't know what the deal is but i'm curious to see if here at at Firstly, I don't know what he's going to weigh in at, but here at heavyweight, I'm curious to see if he can sit down on his punches a little bit more, and we might see some of those knockdowns that eluded him at 205. Like I want to see if there's going to be a different kind of power coming behind Jones's shots here at at, uh, at heavyweight. So it, it, this is a tough one for me because when I watch tape, I actually came out thinking I'm going to pick Gone here. Um <laughs> And usually, like, tape's not the be-all, end-all. Sometimes tape will talk you off winners, but sometimes it's right in front of you for you to see what's going to happen. And, you know, Jones has been getting hit more these last few fights, you know. Uh, they have been getting closer and closer. But granted, he also said that, look, my, my candle was starting to burn out at 205. I wasn't getting up for these fights. I, I felt like, you know, I beat these guys before the fights even started and this and that, like... Whereas now, like he say, he says that he's feeling that fear again, which is perfect because you need to walk into these fights with with a healthy amount of fear, just knowing that like you don't know the outcome. Like like Dustin Poirier said, you're walking into the theater of the unknown. And Jones, like man, when you hear this guy talk, so I mentioned how I watched the tape, and the tape made me think that Gon's a really live dog, and maybe he is. But when I hear Jones talk, and not, I'm not one to be swayed by interviews, but like. When you talk about elite mentality and elite competitors mindset, like just hearing Jones talk, like firstly, I think he's one of the most underrated trash talkers in the history of the sport. Like, hey, pussy, you still there? Like, dude, his trash talk is on another level. It's not just a couple scripted lines you said in your mirror. Ha ha. Like, like, you know, I'm going to rest my balls on your forehead, which is hilarious. But like jones like his psychological warfare is on a different level and when you're hearing these interviews the kind of confidence the kind of like it's not that he feels like he's already won it's almost like he feels like the amount of work he's putting in is 
You know, this is his destiny to become a heavyweight world champion. When I hear this guy talk, I'm like, oh, my God, like I could learn something from this guy's mindset. Like he is so elite mentally. It's crazy that he got me. He, John Jones sold me when I heard him talk. I watched the tape on Gon. I was like, shit, Gon's a live dog. These last few uh, Jones fights have been getting closer. I hear Jones talk and he sells me on it. No fighter. I'll never cap a fight. You know, I think that one guy's got the big edge by watching tape and then hear the other guy's interview. And then go on the other side. But this might be an exception, man, because Jones, like that elite mindset, he sold me. And then not only that, you watch some of his old fights and his IQ is just like we get so spoiled because we've been watching thousands of thousands of fights that when it comes back time to watch a John Jones fight for like a John Jones fight week, we re we get reminded like, oh, man, this guy operates differently. Like this guy knows how to win fights at the highest level. and he can do it all. So now I'm just curious to see if the power is going to translate at heavyweight. That That's a big question I have. And then another thing I always used to talk about um, was how, like, no one is exempt from that first UFCL unless your name is John Jones Khabib, uh, unless your name is John Jones or Habib. But I also follow that up with, you know, my disclaimer was also, but if they stick around long enough, they will take their first L's too. Now, Habib didn't stick around long enough. Very smart, got out the sport when he did. Is John Jones sticking around too long? That, that That's kind of what I'm wondering here, right? Because, like, sometimes these fighters get old overnight, right? And you look at, like, a past memory of them, and then they come into the octagon, and they're not like what they once were. But because of who their name is and because of their past accomplishments, you start, you know, only harping on the past. And I've made that mistake many times, including this year, when I bet on Shogun against some random 0-1 guy that probably won't be in the UFC this time next year. But it didn't matter because you got to look at where a fighter is at in their current state. And what's hard about capping this fight is I don't know where, uh, where uh, you know, Jones is at at this current point. It's been three years. Now, I have inclination to believe he's been working these three years and he's going to come out here the best version of himself, but we don't know that anymore. And the reason I say stuff like this is because Jones has such a massive edge at 205 in a lot of these fights. He'd be 10 years younger than these guys. He'd have like eight-inch reach advantages. He'd be five inches taller in the whole bit, right? Now, John Jones is the older guy. Like, you don't often see John Jones being the older guy. I remember when he was the young phenom coming here. Now he's three years older. Now, granted, still has a three-inch reach advantage, but it's not the same as when he used to have 10-inch reach advantages over these guys. His body used to literally be a cheat code in these fights, right? And I always talked about how, like, now that the 205ers are evolving to the point where, you know, they can match Jones on – athleticism they can match jones on size you know the jamal hills the ankle lives like all these guys coming up i wanted to see john jones fight those guys but he left right at the start of that you know he fought dominic reyes who dominic now you know has never been the same since the jones fight but prior to the jones fight dominic was undefeated dominic was riding high on confidence and he kind of represented the new emerging light heavyweights that you know are six foot five six foot four got the the 80 inch reaches you know can put up the volume can do everything are, are coming in here as good athletes so i really wanted to see john jones face that era 205 but you can't get everything you want i also wanted john jones to fight francis and Ganu. you can't get everything you want and you have to base it on the matchup at hand and the matchup at hand is cyril gone who's one of the trickiest most elusive 
kickboxers in the heavyweight division. Also has kind of a tricky leg lock game, which I don't think will work here. So back back to the prediction. I mean, I think that Jones, we know he likes to beat people at their own game. So I think he's going to come out here, try to kickbox with a guy like Cyril Gaon. Now, can Cyril Gaon you know, come out here and maybe he be the first man to truly rock John Jones and maybe put him down. Maybe that heavyweight power, you know, is something that Jones isn't ready for. And there's that possibility. But back to what I've been saying, I think Jones has been getting the right looks in the gym for what this heavyweight power feels like, especially like the point I made, how, you know, you can talk all the shit you want about Walt Harris, but like we can all agree Walt Harris is good for one round. All these guys he brought in are dangerous for one round. And he gets them while they're all fresh, back to back to back, right? So I think he's getting the perfect looks in the gym. First two rounds, I see being super close. By the third round, that might be around the time when Jones starts to get a feel for his timing a little bit. Maybe then he can mix in a takedown, get on top of Cyril Gaon. And from there, if he does eventually land that successful takedown, get on top of Cyril Gaon, I'm curious to see you know, if he can get off on some ground, pad. I'm curious to see if he can hold Cyril Gaon down. I'm curious to see if that changes the momentum of this fight. So, yeah, look, my pick is going to be John Jones here, but I'm, I'm going to sit back and, and, and watch this one and just, you know, take intel and take notes and and just see, you know, what the deal is, man, because I know a lot of sharp people on Cyril Gaon here, like, like actually really sharp people that I respect. Um, and I was almost going to be one of those people on gone. Um, when I watched the tape, I was on gone, but like I said, you know, I know it sounds a certain way to say I got swayed by an interview and that's something uncharacteristic of me. But like when I hear John Jones talk, man, it's, you just don't hear, a, you don't hear greatness like that because no other guys are 28 and uh, besides maybe Habib, right? So he's just a once in a lifetime guy. Has he stuck around long enough? Or too long, I mean to say. that That's the big question here. So we're going to find out. My official pick is John Jones. Um, probably not interested in the bet. Also curious to see what John Jones weighs in at. Um, let me know. Uh, in the comment after this, after the show is over, let me know what y'all think John Jones is going to weigh in at. And if you guess it right, you'll be entered into a little drawing I'm going to do. I'm going to give someone a piece of UFC memorabilia. The only catch is you have to be subscribed to my channel. Subscribe to Half the Battle. You can hit the like button too, but subscribe to half the battle for sure. And, you know, guess what uh, he weighs in at in the comment section later on. So, yeah, I'm going to pick John Jones to uh, become the baddest man on the planet Saturday night and go out there and defeat Cyril Gunn. All right. What a fight. Now, co-main event of the evening. For the flyweight belt, we got Valentina Shevchenko. She's 23-3, and three, taking on Alexa Grasso, who was 15-3. and three. Currently... They got it. Valentina Shevchenko, minus 600. The comeback on Alexa Grasso is plus 450. So, you know, I've been uh, pretty vocal that I think Valentina is going to uh, lose her belt in the next three fights. I don't know if it's going to be this fight. I don't know if it's going to be against Blanchfield. I don't know if it's going to be a Tyler Santos rematch, Suarez. I don't know. I just have an inkling that it's going to be in these next three fights. And the reason being is this. Look, I'm not sitting here saying that I'm seeing some kind of decline out of Valentina because I think that that would be super unfair to to her. And also, before I have this conversation, I want to say um, the kind of regard that I hold Valentina in. You know, I think that she's 
not just one of the greatest women fighters of all time. I think she's one of the greatest fighters of all time and a true professional, good everywhere, great representative for the sport. So future Hall of Famer. So I got nothing but love for Valentina. It's just that, you know, all long-reigning champions, like, like I said, unless your name is Habib or even John Jones, and even that we don't know, you know, we got to see what happens this weekend. Eventually they all lose. Anderson Silva lost when I thought that was never going to happen, right? Um, so now it comes down to this matchup. And, and the reason I've been I've been kind of like, you know, I'm not so sure because some of these last few Valentina fights have been getting closer and closer, man. Um, the Tyler Santos fight, for example. You know, she beat the shit out of Lauren Murphy, but Lauren Murphy's 40 years old. Alexa, Alexa's gotta be in her 20s, though, right? My girl Alexa was born in 1993. You understand what I'm saying? Um, you know, the Tyler Santos fight. I'm not sitting here saying it was a robbery. You know, both landed three takedowns, but Valentina outstruck her by like 22 strikes. So I'm not gonna call it a robbery, but what what I will say is that it was a lot closer than the line indicated. Like the line, what was the line for that Valentina and the and Tyler fight? It was it was like closing minus eight hundred Valentina, and it was a split decision. That that was not how you cover a minus eight hundred price tag. Um, the Jennifer Maya fight. Let's see what she closed in the Jennifer Maya fight. In Jennifer Maya fight, she closed minus 2,500. And yeah, I thought she cleanly won, but she also cleanly lost one of those rounds. And when she got taken down, she couldn't get back up from bottom. Um, now, what the, the big question people are asking me is, what does Alexa Grasso bring to the table that Valentina can't match her at or that Valentina hasn't seen before? Or, or, or this or that, and, and I have an answer for you. So let me let me know off the top of y'all's head. When's the last time Valentina landed 100 significant strikes in a single UFC fight? Go ahead, let me know. Tell me one time Valentina Shevchenko has landed at least 100 significant strikes in a single UFC fight. Never, okay? Now, the most strikes that Valentina's ever landed in a UFC fight was against Lauren Murphy, where she beat the living shit out of a 40-year-old. Not to discredit the win. I mean, it was beautiful. But, you know, landing 98 strikes there, that's the most Valentina's ever landed. What do y'all think the most uh, Alexa Grasso has ever landed in a UFC fight? In her very last fight, which went all five rounds, by the way, Alexa Grasso went out there and landed 153 significant strikes. She also attempted 353 significant strikes. Now... I'm telling you all this. If this is, you know, high output boxing for MMA match, I think Alexa's got a great chance here. Not only that, um, people keep talking about how, well, okay, so Alexa's got these good hands, but like Valentina can take her down to the ground. Fair, you know, Alexa was taken down twice. Her last fight against Vivi was taken down three times against Barber, was taken down four times against Esparza. So very valid point that, you know, she can be taken down. I agree. But let's also bring up some other valid points. When she got taken down by Carla Esparza, who a lot of people consider to be one of the best uh, women's MMA wrestlers. I mean, let's not act like Alexa didn't have a pretty damn close armbar attempt in that fight. And it seems like in these past few fights, excuse me, where she's been getting taken down, she's been finding a way to get back up. And from there, the volume difference is huge. But here is what I'm worried about. So just because on paper, Alexa has, 
more significant, you know, volume than than Valentina, that doesn't mean that in this fight specifically she's going to be able to get off on that output. Reason being, Valentina is so defensively sound, and Valentina has a way of slowing these fights down to her pace, and she's an expert counterfighter. You know, whether it's the check right hook, whether it's the spin kick, the inside leg kicks, whatever the case may be, she's an expert counterfighter. So I can see situations where, you know, Valentina's kind of hanging back. Alexa is throwing the volume, but I'm curious what these counters coming from Valentina are going to look like. Are they going to be as effective as they were, you know, against these past opponents? Because I actually think that Alexa is looking the best she's ever looked. We've already know she can go five rounds. We know she can land over 150 significant strikes in a five round fight. I mean, she's done it twice. Um, she, she, she landed 148 significant strikes in a three round fight before. So the volume difference is almost double what it is. You know, Alexa's volume is double what Valentina's is. So from that standpoint, if, uh, someone said doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't have 100 significant strikes because uh, she finishes fights. Really, she finished Tyler Santos, uh, that one that went five rounds. That was a split decision where she only landed 77 strikes. That uh, that was a that was a finish. She finished Jennifer Maya where, where it went five rounds and uh, only landed 62 uh, significant strikes. Uh, that was a finish. So no, don't 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 try me on that because I will fact check you. So the volume difference is fucking huge here, and. Is Valentina just going to take her down and crucifix her or something like that? I don't know, man. It seems to me like Alexa Grasso has been taking her jujitsu pretty damn seriously. So to me, um, I see it being a close, uh, I see it being a very close fight. Um, you know, I, I lean Valentina. It's just, what's the price? What is the price? Minus 600, minus 700, minus 900. Minus 900. Fuck that, dude. Like, minus 900, I don't want any of this split decision bullshit where we all thought you you lost the fight. <laughs> minus 900, I don't want any of these 62 strikes in, in a five-round fight bullshit. Like, minus 900, I want you to come out here and knock her out. I want you to come out here and take her down and crucifix her. You know, I want you to come out here and destroy her. And I just can't get uh, behind minus 900 in a spot like this this ain't lauren murphy who's 50 years old you know this ain't jennifer maya who i have zero clue how she got a title shot like alexa is legit man so i see it being a close fight i see this being a dogger pass situation you know i'll pick valentina because i'm waiting for aaron to get the shot because i think aaron is uh gonna actually be the one but I'm not writing off Alexa one bit, man. She's been making huge improvements. She's got a clear edge in volume. I think her hands are sharper. Um, and I think her ground game has been getting a lot better. And I think that Valentina, um, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, because someone had prior dominance, you know, and looked amazing, you know, a while back and they still have that same name. People, uh, you know, it's like a. Like when Chuck Liddell, you know, was getting knocked out every single fight, everybody still thought it was the champ Chuck Liddell, so they'd bet him in those fights and they'd lose. I'm not saying that Valentina is anywhere near that point, but what I am saying is the last few performances have not been as impressive. And I, my prediction is in one of these next three fights, Valentina is going to lose her belt. I don't know if it's going to be this one. I don't know if it's going to be Aaron. I don't know if it's going to be uh, Tatiana. Maybe a Tyler Santos rematch, but one of these next three fights, Valentina is going to lose her belt. 
man, I wish I had the balls to just come out here and say Alexa's going to do it, but I'm just not convinced. But I'm also not convinced it's dominance by Valentina at all. I, I see this being a competitive fight. So it's a dog or pass situation uh, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you lay minus 900 here. You better pray it's dominance. And I don't see it being dominance. I see it being a close fight. So dog or pass, I'll pick a... I'll, I'll pick Valentina, but reluctantly at minus 900. Anyways, featured bout in the welterweight division. Here's another one with an interesting line. We got Jeff Neely's 15-4 taking on Shafkat Rachmanov, who's 16-0. Currently, they got it. Shafkat Rachmanov, minus 500. The comeback on Jeff Neal is plus 400. So there's another line where I think it's kind of like, like what? Like, so Shafkat was only like minus 225 against Carlson Harris was only like open minus 150 against Michelle Prezerich open a dog against Alex Oliveira and now he's minus 500 against the best guy he's ever fought um here but here's my deal with Jeff Jeff is hit or miss when Jeff is on his game and I hate talking about which guy is going to show up because I truly feel like that discredits the opponent but literally which guy's going to show up the guy that fought Bilal Muhammad the guy that fought Vicente Luque looked like the fastest welterweight on the roster and had an insane takedown defense and get-up game. Like, Bilal got in deep on some shots in that second round. And you saw that expert post by uh, Jeff Neal, one hand posting and the other hand, you know, pushing on the back of uh, Bilal's head to get back up. That shit was disgusting, man. Um, but then other times, Neal will come out here and just be lackluster, man. And it's like, you know, he had that incident where he almost died. You know, he had sepsis, he had congenial heart failure, the whole ordeal, right? So, you know, and then you saw, like, his first few fights back from when he almost died, like the Wonderboy fight, the, the Magni fight, even the Santiago fight. Like, he looked like shit in those fights. But that last fight against Luke was a big step in the right direction. I felt like... The speed was there for Neil. I felt like he was able to, you know, carry it deep into the fight. The power was there. That was like the best Neil I've seen since the Bilal fight. So what I do know is that when Jeff is on top of his game, he's one of the most dangerous guys in the welterweight division. And if that guy that fought Bilal or that guy that fought Luke shows up, he's not a plus 400 dog here. If that guy that fought Magni or that guy that fought Wonderboy, you know, you know, fresh off his deathbed if he, that that version of neil um is a plus 400 dog in this spot so what, what neil am i getting right like i want to know what neil i'm getting if I'm, I'm like i said if i'm getting the Bilal or, or the luke neil i think there's value on that plus 400 man um, because look i like shaft a lot for sure i think shaft a very bright prospect i mean you're talking about a guy in shaft rachmanov who is 16 and 0 eight submissions eight knockouts right so 100 percent finish rate he's a tough guy man like people say he hasn't been tested that's because you haven't watched his regional fights man i mean i saw him do a chicken dance of chicken dances on his regional scene and still come back and finish that fight and i guess kind of where i am worried about rachmanov going forward because people are already anointing him as a, as a future world champion right and I haven't quite gotten there yet. Where I have gotten is I consider him, I don't is he already in the top 10 or is he like number 11? I, I think for sure top 10, possibly even top five. And I'm not writing off the possibility of future champ. 
I just haven't gotten there yet, right? Like with Jamal Hill, I got there from the jump. I saw what I need to see, you know, since his UFC debut. With with Rachmanov, there's still a few more things I need to see before I'm ready to anoint this guy as the second coming. And, and, you know, I need to see how he does when he's truly tested. I need to see how he does when someone fights back at the UFC level. I want to see how he deals with Jeff Neal's speed, if Jeff Neal actually shows up this time. Um, so I, it's just tough because, like I said, we've seen drastically different versions of Jeff Neal. Like I said, that guy that fought Bilal and that guy that fought Luke. Looks like a future title challenger to me. That guy that fought Magny and that guy that fought Wonderboy and that guy that fought Santiago looks like he should be a plus 400 dog against Shafkat. So what am I getting here? I have no fucking idea. Uh, I really don't. What I do know is I won't lay minus 500 on Shafkat. There's a dogger pass situation. Um, it has to be at a line like this. So, like I said, if you're expecting the Neil that, you know, fresh off his deathbed, to fucking parlay Shafkat, but... If you're expecting Jeff Neal at his best, it's dog or pass. A, a lean shaft cap, but you know, le- a minus 500 is not a lean price. So this is a dog or pass situation. Um, I think there's a chance Jeff Neal might be might be getting disrespected. The thing is, even in that Luke fight, though, which was a big step in the right direction for Jeff Neal, his speed looked the best it's ever looked since, like, you know, the Bilal fight, and it seemed like he's starting to find himself again. But there were still moments where Luke was pressuring him up against the fans, but just Luke just the speed was too much for Luke. Uh, whereas Shafkat, you know, he's also kind of on the slower side compared to Jeff Neal, but he's got ridiculous pressure. He's got a presence about him. He's a guy that goes forward. He's a guy that's ultra confident, can mix in takedowns. But like, like I said, I saw Bilal in deep, 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 deep on an entry on on Jeff and Jeff like. His takedown defense and get-up game looks ridiculous when he when he's on his game. So is he going to be on his game Saturday? I don't know. So for that reason, I'll lean Shaftcat, but minus 500 is not a lean. This is a dogger pass situation. So let's see. Now, before I talk about this fight between Mateusz Gamrot and uh, Jalen Turner, I need you all to do me a huge favor and smash the like button. And if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe. And also, I'd like to give a huge shout-out to today's sponsor, daily fan mma so guys and, and real quick my my dog's begging me to uh to to leave the studio so i'm gonna open the door for him and then i'm gonna, I'm gonna give you all this badass uh promo so give me one sec all right why did why did it show the old half the battle logo they're supposed to show the new one but we're uh we're, we're figuring things out but anyways guys i wanted to let y'all know something um i have a fucking amazing offer for y'all so check this out so we are back with another amazing promotion from brett apley and dailyfanmma.com the industry leader in DraftKings mma content so for half the battle listeners only that's y'all you can now get free access to brett's mma premium content for ufc 285 all you have to do is check out dailyfanmma.com slash bfp and use the promo code bfp285 which gets you a six-day free trial and that includes full access to all 
UFC 285 content. So no strings attached, no bullshit. I mean, this dude is literally letting y'all try out his content for free. And, and I vouch for his content. You know, I think Brett Apley is by far one of the sharpest guys in this industry. And I've known him a very long time. And the thing I like about Brett is that both of us are super stubborn guys. And we can talk, we can debate respectfully, but we're not going to sway each other's opinions, but we can hear each other out. And he sticks by his process, you know, process over results, but not to mention his result, his results are pretty fucking good too. So check it out. This is, this is a free offer y'all. So y'all go to dailyfanmma.com slash BFP, use my code BFP285 for that free access. And that's going to include full matchup uh, breakdowns and DraftKings analysis for every fight on the slate, premium podcast, projections, rankings, and more. Plus, you can get access to the lineup optimizer, which can spit out up to 300 DraftKings lineups at the click of a button. And guys, there's more than $1 million up for grab. Look, my boy Leo is agreeing with this. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I know you I know you vouch for my boy Brett Affley too. So guys, there's more than $1 million up for grabs on this DraftKings week, including 150K to first place. And there's no reason uh, why one of you can't take home that top prize. So Daily Fan MMA has already crossed 2 million subscribers, uh, $2 million in subscriber winnings. And Brett just wants to help you be the next person to take home that six-figure score. So again, guys, all of his content is completely free to half the battle listeners if you use the link dailyfanmma.com slash BFP. All the important information you need is on that webpage, including the promo code, which again is BFP285, and that will give you access to a six-day free trial. Free. If you have any questions about this promo or Brett's content, feel free to uh, reach out to me to him and we hope to see you on top of the leaderboard on saturday so y'all make sure y'all take advantage of this offer it's free and i have a feeling like brett's so confident that you're gonna get something out of this that uh you're gonna realize why he's giving y'all a free offer here so highly recommend y'all uh take advantage of that now Next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Mateusz Gamrod. He's 21 and 2, taking on Jalen Turner, who is 13 and 5. And currently, they got it. Mateusz Gamrod, minus 170, the comeback on Jalen Turner. Oh, excuse me. That, that line's uh, incorrect. Currently, they got it minus 200, Mateusz Gamrod. The comeback on Jalen Turner is plus 170. So, very, very interesting fight. Um, so, all right, here, here's my thing. So, at distance, at range, in this fight, Mateusz Gamrot is absolutely fucked at range. If this guy wants to make it a kickboxing match against Jalen Turner, he is in deep shit. And Jalen Turner, one thing about him, he's a guy, if you've heard some of my old podcasts, this is a guy that's completely changed my view of him. Um, because if you if you saw his regional fights, like Jalen Turner was getting knocked out ugly in some of these regional fights. And like I was uh, under the impression that this guy's super chinny. Um, he's got that tall man defense. I was not sold on Jalen Turner. Uh, but man, he's and I thought he took a, a lot of unnecessary shots. But man, the, he, offensively speaking, ju just offensively speaking, is striking. 
has to be up there with some of the best. I mean, he's so clean. The torque he gets into those hooks, the extension uh, on those straight punches, the kicks, like he uses his length so damn well. Mateusz cannot afford to be on the outside and, and try to strike with a guy like Jalen Turner. Now, don't get me wrong, because the big thing, remember how I talked about, well, I used to think Jalen Turner was super chinny because he used to get knocked out all the time, right? Is he still chinny? So here's the thing that I that I noticed, you know, while researching this fight is that he's a lot better at not getting hit, right? So his defense has gotten 10 times better than it used to be. But unfortunately, he still is chinny because you, if you watch that Jamie Malarkey fight one fight ago, man, he, he did a chicken dance, but Malarkey wasn't able to capitalize. So it tells me Jalen is still chinny. Unfortunately, he's probably going to get knocked out, you know, as you know, when he gets to like a fizzy or one of these other guys. But I, I think Mateusz most likely not going to knock him out, definitely not going to outstrike him. But what Mateusz brings to the table is he has a very unique takedown game. It's specifically built off a low single, which is not something very popular in MMA. In fact, when Randy Couture fought James Tony, the boxer, he actually went on a low single on him because, uh, you know, non-wrestlers ain't expecting shit like that. And it doesn't often work in MMA, but, like, Mateusz Gamrot makes that low single work ridiculously, and he's got so many different finishes for it, and he's able to, you know, start with that low single, then pick it up over your head, drop you down. He's able to do that and transition to leg locks, use it, get on top, and then start getting his game going. So Mateusz is absolutely nasty with his... Uh, low single series and i probably would go on record and say that right now you know here in 2023 mateus gamrot does have the best low single leg in the sport of mma um yeah I'll, I'll say that so so now back to this matchup you know assuming mateus is smart which i think he is you're not gonna bang with jalen turner right dude because if you do you're fucked but let's go in there and <laughs> Just dive on legs right away. Now, here's the thing. I've heard a lot of people talking about how Jalen's got a nasty guillotine, and he sure does. I mean, when you're talking about, you know, those long-ass limbs, like this dude's six foot three. He's got the long-ass reach, tallest uh, lightweight on the roster, you know, him and, and Joel. But Joel never makes weight. Y'all call uh, Jalen a weight bully. Jalen makes weight. Joel's the weight bully. Joel doesn't make weight. Like, to me, if you can make the weight, you're not a weight bully. If you consistently miss the weight, then you're a weight bully. So I disagree with a lot of y'all on that. Like, how are you a weight bully if you make the weight? Like, like, like shut your fucking mouth. Not only that, there's got to be diminishing returns for a guy that size cutting that, that amount of weight. And I think some of those diminishing returns are he's the kind of guy that kind of fights in bursts. And he kind of also needs to catch a second win as fights progress. Because I do see him slow down, but he's able to fight through the fatigue. And eventually he catches that second win and he's just as dangerous. But in those moments where he starts to, you know, I have to take a little bit of a breather, maybe that's where Mateusz can, you know, capitalize and, and get off on some top control. But back to the long man chokes, you know, the guillotines, the darces, the anacondas, the, the power guillotine, you know, the kind of stuff that, you know, a guy that's six foot three should be going for when, when someone's shooting on them. Um, what I got to say about that is that what I've noticed about, you know, the way that Mateusz sets up his entries and his head is always in the right spot, right? Like, like his ear 
it's pressed on, pressed on, on your chest, on your stomach. Like he's not really just putting it on the outside, like waiting to get guillotined. Like he, his placement is ridiculous and he's able to uh, scramble and transition and just kind of almost chain wrestle off that low single to where his head rarely gets exposed. And, and the reason why, you know, for example, the Frivola fight, which I know a lot of people will reference, I was in attendance for the Frivola fight in Atlanta. Frivola was shooting more, you know, blast doubles, which, you know, he got them, but also, you know, the guillotine was a threat in that spot, whereas I don't think the guillotine is going to be as big of a threat here against Gamera. I don't see Gamera getting subbed. But the way Gamera loses this fight is, like I said, man, if somehow Jalen can stuff these low singles or maybe get back up from bottom at range, I think at range, this is as much of a mismatch as it is in the wrestling. You know, like like Gamrot's got that massive edge with that low single game, which is super unorthodox, his scrambling ability. But, you know, he's got a big edge there. But I think Jalen's edge standing is, you know, from range is just as great. So I'm going to pick Mateusz contingent on him you know relentlessly wrestling and you know coming out here and you know getting that low single game going let's not even test our stand-up against this guy let's not pull a john jones and try to beat this guy at his own game like if you go in there with that low single series i mean mateish is literally a guy that will attempt 20 takedowns in a fight and he's taken down all his ufc opponents whether we're talking about benny whether we're talking about armin sarukian and the, these guys ain't no novice grapplers either right so I'm just saying, man, um, he's going to land these takedowns on, on Jalen. It's just just because Jalen, you know, when I saw him fight for Vola in Atlanta, just because he wasn't able to get back up from bottom then, maybe that's an indicator, you know, three, four years later, he still can't get back up. But maybe, maybe dude's been working hard in the gym. Maybe he's been locked in in the lab. He was like 23 back then. He's like, what, 27, 28 now? Like, not going to write off the improvements. It's just. The fight needs to take place in a certain specific area for Jalen to win this fight, and that's at distance. That's at range. Jalen, you keep it at range, man. You're going to light this guy up. But that low single game is just so different uh, that Mateusz brings. Like, you've never fought anybody like it. You probably don't have people in the gym because people in the gym, they're going for traditional single legs. They're going for double legs. They're doing a, you know, maybe a hip toss, whatever. But like That low single game is super rare for MMA. And that, that should get Mateus a decision or a submission here, but I don't know, man. Like, if Mateus is a confident guy, he wants to test a stand-up here, not saying he can't crack Turner, but I'm saying he will get cracked too. So proceed with caution, but I'll, I'll pick Mateus. But but I'm not opposed to Jalen potentially being a, you know, showing some future greatness because some of these glimpses I've seen, like, Dude's got some stuff. Dude is, I like him, man. He's dangerous. Uh, it's just the fight. Like all these other guys have been trying to fight him at range, which is like a big no-no, right? Uh, Mateusz most likely won't do that if the film is any indication, right? But if his ego, you know, is through the roof and he wants to come out here and uh, bang with Turner, then, he, then he's in deep shit. But most likely he's going to get that wrestling game going. I think, I think. So I'll pick Mateusz. Now, <laughs> Kicking off the main card, we got a matchup between Jamie Pickett, he's 13 and 8, taking on Bo Nickel, who's 3 and 0. Currently, they got it. Bo Nickel minus 1400. Depends where you look. Some places minus 2000. The comeback on uh Jamie is plus 1000. So, you know, it, it's one of those situations where <laughs> uh 
you know how people talk about, uh, you know, fuck value, just pick winners. Okay, just pick winners. Then go ahead and uh, I want you to lay 20 units to win one on Bo Nickel since it's just about, uh, you know, picking winners, right? Don't get me wrong. I, I ain't laying no money on uh, on Jamie Pickett. I think Jamie Pickett. I've thought the same thing about Jamie Pickett since day one. I mean, when you're a guy that's been finished in the first round by Charles Bird, finished in the first round by Jordan Wright, I mean, what else needs to be said? Finished in the first round by Kyle Dacus, like lost a round to Joseph Holmes. I mean, Bo Nickel's going to have to pull a stunt here. Like I get the experience difference and that, but the wrestling level is just on a, such a completely different different level and like you know after he uh choked that guy out with the triangle like I, I, the next day you know because it, it was on tuesday right tuesday night contender so the next day i go to the gym and i talked to my professor about it and i was like dude like did you see the bone nickel fight and he's like nah and i was like dude he went for um a mounted guillotine for, for he, did he drop donovan beard at first um i don't remember if he dropped him hold on did he drop him first because i know he went he went mounted guillotine to triangle but hold on um let me just see if he dropped him first no he you know he did not drop him first okay so what happened was bo took him down bo had like i think bo like had like mounted guillotine he let go of that and then he and then he you know st he started the triangle as like a mounted triangle and then went to his back and secured it and what my professor said was for a wrestler to have the confidence to do something like that that speaks volumes and like i know firsthand because uh one of my main um you know training partners at the gym travis shihai you know he's a former d1 all-american wrestler too a purple belt as well um and he's like my encyclopedia for wrestlers that are making their ufc debut whenever like a, a really high level wrestler is about to come in i always text my boy travis to, to get the scoop because he knows he's like deep into like the the college wrestling game just like i am into the the mma game right so and everything he said about bo nickel was like yo like this is a guy whereas he told me about other guys that he wasn't high on like that that guy in uh bellator who you know came in as this hyped ass wrestler won his first fight then got knocked out in 30 seconds his next fight and then bellator cut him my boy was like yo like that guy that we all viewed him as a joke in college wrestling whereas bo nickel like was a stud and yeah so i'm uh i mean it's no it's no secret here that i'm i'm picking bone nickel to come out here and finish this guy you know I, I just think that experience might be one thing but like toughness and heart and grit and determination and technique is another thing and i think that Bo has those in spades and he's a minus 2000 favorite for a reason so i, I think he's going to come out here put it on jamie pickett and get him out of there now next up in the bantamweight division i know y'all been i know y'all been waiting a long time for this one we got bro how crazy is it that like derrick brunson and duplessis is on the prelims holy shit i thought for sure that'd be on the main card but next up in the bantamweight division we got a matchup between cody garbrandt or as we like to say in brazil cody garbranch he's 12 and 5 taking on trevin jones who was 13 and 9 and currently they got it cody garbrandt minus 175 the comeback on trevin jones or as i like to call him trevin woodley jones 
is plus 150. And the reason I like to call him Tre- uh, Trevin Woodley Jones is because, okay, so this is a fight between a guy who can't take a punch versus a guy who refuses to throw a punch, right? So it, it's one of those things where Cody Garbrandt, um, I have my theories about what happened. Um, and I'll actually tell you all my theory right now. Let me just pull up the, the record so I can. I can actually give you all a timeline of certain things that crossed my mind of why, you know, Cody, uh, you know, has fallen on, on some hard times, my man. You know, I, I think there's a specific reason for this. Okay, so let's 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 look at the history here. So, and, and you know, what's funny. I remember when uh, Cody was fighting a uh, Tomas Almeida, and I thought that Tomas Almeida was like the second coming of Christ. I thought he was going to go out there and destroy Cody Garbrandt. I thought Cody Garbrandt was overrated since before he, the Dominic Cruz fight, right? So I bet on Thomas Almeida big, and, and he and he just fucking starched Tomas Almeida. Shit was crazy, bro. But uh, all right, let me. Uh, so okay, so let me just tell you all my history with Garbrandt. So his last amateur fight against Jarrell Hodges, he got knocked the fuck out. But I, I don't mean. You know, a little flash knockdown, haha. You know, pick the guy back. I mean, like, out cold, stiff, like flashlight in his eyes, smelling salt, bring out the stretcher, the whole bit. So, I was already looking to fade him when he turned pro because of what I saw. You know, as an amateur, right? Um, but the thing that happened was, you know, he's, he's still young. His technique was getting on point. He had some super fast hands. He was running through everybody. He got the dominant cruise performance. Now, I, I don't want to sit here and discredit. The cruise performance, which a lot of people consider to be, you know, some people say that that's one of the best uh, performances of all time. And at the and at the time, it felt very special. But when you actually look at the numbers of that fight, like his output was fucking low as hell. Like it was still 68 significant strikes in five rounds. Dude, that's low. And like 68 significant strikes in three rounds is low, but in five rounds, that's super low. It's just that Cody had two knockdowns and then, and then he did the robot afterwards, you know, he did his little dance. So people were, you know, going crazy. And plus how Dominic was looked at at that time, like it, uh, it made sense. You know what I mean? And, but, and there was also an insane amount of trash talk, you know, Dominic was acting uncharacteristic, not going to discredit that win, just saying that, Maybe maybe it was a bit over overblown because those numbers, then two knockdowns are beautiful, but sixty-eight significant strikes in a five-round fight, that's too low, bro. That 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 is very low. So, but back to my point. Here, here's what I was trying to get at. So the dominant cruise fight happened in December 2016, right? He didn't come back for the for the first Dillashaw fight until November 2017. So that's almost a full year, not quite a full year, but almost a full year. So why did Cody Garbrandt take almost a full year off after what many people consider to be, you know, the best UFC performance of all time, right? And what it was, I don't know if a lot of y'all remember, he had these back and neck issues and they actually had to fly Cody Garbrandt out. Was it Germany, you know, to get these injections done and do all these things. And ever since then, he just hasn't looked the same. Um, he looks a lot more rigid. He looks a lot more stiff. Um, the the punch speed isn't quite there like it once was. You know, his only win since that time, the Asunsao win, look, the knockout is like a holy shit knockout. It's a knockout you'll show your friends. But the actual technique of the knockout, 
like i mean his hands all the way down here you know <laughs> like he's like fucking loading up like all the way back and they're just oh you know like uh that it was ugly technique but a beautiful knockout and I just don't know how many how many more you know he's got in him, man. Because like I said, so we had all those health issues, like the back issues, you know, in the year off between the Cruz and the Dillashaw fight. So then he goes in there against Dillashaw, you know, gets brutally knocked out. Then he fights him again, and like he looks worse the second time. The second time he starts charging him like a madman, throws that same overhand right three times in a row, then gets dropped and goes down. Next fight against uh, Pedro Munoz, Pedro. Uh, chopped them down expertly with the calf kicks cody garbrandt you know pe people are like oh cody's a wild man why did he charge him recklessly why did he lose his head you know why he lost his head because the calf kicks were adding up and it was basically a point where shit one or two more of these i'm not gonna be able to walk so i have to make a decision right now to go out there and knock this man out because that's the only way i can win this fight and he tried his best but unfortunately his best wasn't good enough and he got stiffened in that fight too comes back Hey, the the uh, the sunset fight was ugly too, especially the knockout. But at least it was like a highlight reel. So we thought maybe he's getting his confidence back. Maybe you know whatever. Goes in there against Rob Font. Back to the same shit, bro. Five round fight. Only lands sixty three strikes. Sixty three significant strikes in a five round fight. That is low ass output, man. And man. Does Rob Font not hit hard or something? Because Rob Font hit him 176 times and didn't drop him or anything, which is kind of like, kind of sus, man. Because like, I thought Rob had heavier hands than that. But then the next fight tries to drop to flyweight against Kai. And like we can talk about the knockout, beautiful knockout about Kai, but let's talk about this. Let's talk about what actually happened in that fight. Cody's so concerned about getting hit now. You know, he's so worried about his chin. Like, Cody's aggression was gone. Cody was literally just running around, you know, the cage, trying to throw the occasional calf kick. He's got that one little slick calf kick he does and this and that and mixing the occasional takedown. But it just, it looked, it looked bad, dude. And now you're coming back. And here's the thing. Trevin Jones is a massive step down in competition. Trevin Jones also has insanely low output. But if there's one thing about Trevin Jones... He's got that one-hitter quitter, and it's funny because on his regional fights, like he wasn't out here getting too many knockouts, but he comes to the UFC, knocks out two legit guys off the bat, Timor Valiev, uh, Mario Bautista, man. Like Mario Bautista like, is about to be a top 15 guy if he isn't already, right? Like and Trevin was competitive with him first round, knocks him the fuck out second round. You know, and then these next few fights like kind of just represent kind of like the new breed, like, Saeed Yakub Kakramanov. Uh, I know he, I know he got released, but he was one of these guys that can just shoot takedown after takedown after takedown. He's nasty, and Cody's not going to shoot takedown after takedown after takedown. Different matchup, the Javid Basharat fight. I mean, this is drastically different because Javid Basharat is one of these long guys with insane volume. I mean, <laughs> let's listen to this shit. Javid Basharat landed more strikes in that three-round fight against Trevin Jones. Then Cody Garbrandt landed in any fight he's had in his UFC career, three rounds or five. And let me say this, in that fight against Javid Basharat, Trevin landed just as much uh, you know, output as Cody has in all his fights. So basically, I know Trevin can match this output. I don't know if Trevin can match other output. You know, I call him Trevin Woodley for a reason because he... <laughs> 
refuses to throw a punch, but when he does let his hands go, he's dangerous. And then I bet on Hyoni against Trevin because I thought that was a fucking mismatch and a half, you know? A guy with high-ass output. I mean, Hyoni in his fight against Victor Henry. Do you want to know how many strikes uh, Hyoni uh, threw and landed in that fight? All right, listen to this. In Hyoni's fight against Victor Henry, he attempted 277, 277 strikes, and he landed 134 of them. So when I saw that, compared to Trevin's volume, I was like, okay, that's night and day volume. Of course I'm taking Hyoni here. Whereas with Cody and Trevin, they have about the same volume, but one guy is very worried about that chin, does not have the confidence like he used to. So I see there being moments when these guys are just kind of staring at each other. They're just kind of circling around and the crowd's booing and this and that. And hopefully, eventually, if Trevin actually decides to let his fucking hands go, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu too. Not that, that, that I don't think that'll matter here, but if Trevin lets his hands go, he can floor this guy, man. Like he can floor this guy. Will he? Will he not? I don't know. But what I, what, what I do know is that at least this is a fight for Trevin where the output difference isn't so significantly different. Isn't so, you know, it's not by a, a, a wide enough margin where like, you know, I have to worry about him getting out volume. Cody's volume is trash and it always has been. It's just that he's been able to land knockdowns in fights. He does the robot after he lands those knockdowns. But it seems to me like those days are long gone. The combination of, you know, the back neck injury he had, plus getting knocked the fuck out all the time, all every single time, losing your confidence, already a low-volume fighter to begin with. I see a staring contest. Hopefully Trevin can make something count, catch him because if there's any side I'm betting on, it will be a plus-150 dog to fade this current version of Garber. And back to what we were talking about, how people with their past accomplishments, they still, you know, get some pull because of what he did a million years ago against uh, Dominic Cruz. The same night, Ronda Rousey fought Amanda Nunes. Like, how fucking long ago was that, right? Like, so, um, yeah, I'm going to go Trevin Jones by knockout. It's just, you know, I, I would have no one to blame but myself if Trevin Jones goes out there and just stares at him for three rounds. This could be a three-round staring fight. And if it's a split decision, then there is value on the plus 150. But for my sake, I hope that he comes out here. Let's touch that chin one time and uh, and go home. So let's see what happens. Oh, yeah, but my pick is Trevin. But let's see. Let's see. It's contingent on Trevin actually letting his fucking hands go. <laughs> Trevin Woodley. Now, next up in the middleweight division, I know y'all are ready for this one. Next up, uh, in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Derek Brunson. He's 23 and 8, taking on Drikus Duplessis, who is 18 and 2. Currently, they got it. Drikus Duplessis, minus 225. The comeback on Derek Brunson is plus 185. So, you know, this to me, usually when you have like the up and coming prospect versus the seasoned vet, just depending on where they are in their exact careers. I'll go certain ways. Like if the up and coming uh, prospect has been tested and the vet is on their way out, then I love the, I love the prospect. But if the prospect hasn't quite proven shit and the vet, you know, still has some tactics up his sleeve, then I go with the vet. But the thing is, Drickus has been testing himself since before his UFC career. I mean, y'all saw his two fights with Roberto Soldich, both wars. I mean, both, both in intense high level fights that he was having before he got to the UFC. 
then he gets to the UFC and he's been tested properly, man. And here's the thing about Drickus. It's awkward, but it's violent, right? Like it doesn't look the prettiest. He's kind of stiff. He's kind of rigid, but he's got that death touch. He's got insane mental fortitude. And he's the kind of guy that will be there to the bitter end. Even if he's gassing out, he's going to push through it. Even if he gets taken down, he's going to get back up. He gets wobbled. He's going to, as long as he's conscious, he's still going to be there. And with Derek Brunson, you got to give shots. I mean, he's been in the UFC a long ass time. Fantastic wrestler, one punch knockout power. My my issue with Brunson has been two things. One, he's always had a a knack for you know blitzing with his chin straight up in the air and can get countered. The other uh, red flag is that you know I think that Brunson is a great hammer but not a good nail, right? Like, and, and I know I noticed that back when I saw him fight Yoel Romero in Atlanta. It was actually Gwinnett, Georgia, but we'll call it Atlanta. Um, you know, first two rounds, Brunson was kind of doing his thing a little bit, but uh, Yoel was still there. Yoel stood up to the bully. Yoel got him out there in the third round. And I know for a fact, Drick is, is going to stand up to the bully. And when you stand up to Brunson, you tend to break him. So for that reason, I think Drick can overcome any early adversity presented to him, if there even is any. And I think he's going to give Brunson a reason to possibly consider you know, retiring. So all respect to Brunson, no bad things to say about him, but this is just business. And at the end of the day, I got Drickus Duplicy to defeat Derek Brunson. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Vivian Araujo, Araujo or Araujo. I've called like all her fights and I still don't know, but I, I know I love her. She's 11 and four taking out Amanda Hebosh was 10 and three. Currently they got it. Amanda Hebosh minus 130. The comeback on VV Araujo is plus 110. So this is one that opened minus 110 a piece, and now you know action came in on on Rebos. And like last week with the Muniz and Allen fight, it also opened a pick em. I ended up betting uh, Brendan at plus 188 uh, on fight day. I tweeted it out because, um, like I said, like I picked Muniz on the show, but I said very specifically, this is a dogger pass situation. Um, and we know that Mooney's might take him down. We just don't know what's going to happen after that. Um, and I was very happy with what I saw after that. Um, so, yeah, that was good. But back, back to this, man, what's interesting about these two is that you got Vivi, who's a former 35er, taking on Amanda, who's a former strawweight, you know, 115. They're meeting at 125. And, you know, Reboss. I think that she's very professional with how she fights. I think she knows exactly what her game is. You know, some kick standing here and there. You know, maybe occasionally throw it, lets her hands go. Um, nice, nicely timed judo throws. And then on the mat, you know, she has a black belt, some arm bar, some rear naked chokes. Like, I like her. She's solid. She's got a great attitude. So I'm a fan of Amanda Hebos. The issue with Amanda Hebos is that you don't often see women that are chinny. And my evidence that, you know, I do kind of think Amanda Hebos is a bit more on the chinny side for, for women's MMA is, you know, on a regional scene. She got knocked out in the first round by Pollyanna Vienna. In the UFC, she got knocked out by Marina Rodriguez. In the UFC, she got dropped by Virna Janjidova, who's not known for dropping people. So I think that Amanda uh, Hebos's chin is in question, which is you don't often see in women's MMA because they don't have those, you know, one hitter quitter type fighters. 
enter Vivi Araujo, her UFC debut, she absolutely starts some girl with, with, with overhand rights. And now she's starting to get more comfortable in there. Now she knows what it means to go five rounds. And honestly, I just think she's a lot more physical than, uh, than Amanda. You know, certain things that have maybe plagued Araujo in the past have maybe been, you know, gassing down the stretch. But in the Alexa fight, she threw 126 significant strikes and landed two takedowns and I, I see the physicality slightly being a bit too much for uh you know for 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 Hebas here um but Hebas Hebas is good man you you can't sleep on her especially if she's not getting touched but I think this is a spot where she can get touched I also think she can possibly get taken down here like I, going into this I really think there might be a big physicality difference now I'm open to being wrong if that's just not the case, but it seems to me like Vivi is going to be the bigger girl here. Like, let me see the stats real quick. Like, maybe, uh, you know, it's only one inch height and two inch reach advantage for uh, Vivi. But I think, like, you know, mass wise, I, I think she's going to be a bit more dense than uh, than Amanda Hebos, just just to put it lightly, you know, because one of them's dropping away, one of them's going up in weight. So I'm gonna go Vivi to edge this decision, you know. And it's funny because I liked uh, Amanda Hebas against um, Tracy Cortez, interestingly enough. But here I'm kind of leaning a little bit more towards Viviana Arujo to, to get this decision. Maybe okay, this is a hot take. I'm not predicting this, but maybe maybe she can rock her too, man. Because that chin of a uh, of Rebas is you know it's been suspect for a while. So we'll see. But I'll, I'll go with Vivi here. Now, before I talk about Marquez versus Barrio, y'all do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. If you're not already subscribed, please subscribe. And then after this is over, leave me a comment. Now, now just give me one second. Okay. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Julian Marquez. He's 9-3, and three, taking on Mark andre Barrio, who's 14-6. and six. And currently, they got it. Mark Andre Barrio, minus 125. The comeback on Julian Marquez is plus 105. So this is an interesting fight. You know, initially, it actually opened. Uh, Julian Marquez, minus 148. So it, it, saw, it flipped a bit, you know. And uh, I understand why. Um, but here's what I got to say about Marquez, man. So when he first came into the UFC, I thought that like he was this big, burly, scary dude, opportunistic submissions, one-punch knockout power, tough as fuck, man. But the thing about him is his process is just not something I can get behind, and he's not the kind of guy that can win decisions. He's never won a decision in his life. You would have 100% lost the decision to Mackie Patola, but you got to give the guy credit for his heart and his resolve and his willingness to dig deep when going gets tough. So props. But I really thought that Julian Marquez looked awful, awful in the Mackie Patola fight. I thought he looked awful, awful in the RoboCop fight, man. Like, I'm, I, I don't know any background info. Like, has he been having some health concerns it does he just not train seriously like is he just more focused on his podcast with uh what's the name of my girl kendra lust like it like because these last few like i have not been impressed with marquez 
one bit. Now, on the other hand, with Mark Andre Barrio, you know, that last one, he, he just ran into a tough matchup in Fluffy Hernandez. Fluffy's been doing his thing. Fluffy's been developing that style where you can just take these motherfuckers down eight times a fight and just keep shooting relentlessly. So that turned out to be a bad matchup for Barrio. But besides that, man, I think that Barrio has been getting better. You know, he's training at a Sanford MMA or Kill Cliff, whatever you want to call it. And he's getting the right looks. And, you know, I think that this is a much better matchup for him. And you always have to be worried about the opportunistic finishing ability of Julian Marquez, a guillotine, um, a comeback knockout, whatever. He's a he's a scary guy, but um, I hate his process. Um, and he's looked atrocious his last few fights. So I think he's on his way out, um, quite honestly. And I'm not sure if... Uh, even takes this seriously. I don't want to put words in, in his mouth, you know, watch him come in out here, have an amazing performance. I'll give him his credit. But from what I've seen, um, I, I think Marquez might be trending down. And, and it's sad to say about a guy that's only, what, he's only like 32 or something? Yeah, he's 32. But the Mackie Batolo and the RoboCop fights, like, dude, you don't just overlook those and just, just write it off and act like it was no big deal. It was a huge deal. Did not look UFC caliber neither. So let's see. Let's see if he made some adjustments. I'll go Mark Andre Barrio for the win. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a match between Ian Machado Gary. He's ten and zero, taking on Keenan Song, who's nineteen and six. Currently, they got it. They got an Ian Gary minus eight hundred. The comeback on. Keenan songs plus 550. I was telling my friend, hey, if the line's better than minus 750, there's value, but it's not better than minus 750. But, uh, you know, I like Ian Gary a lot, man. You know, I really like this kid. Um, I know people, they get too caught up in the, uh, the whole, um, um, oh, he's, he's Irish. Therefore he, he thinks he's McGregor and all this bullshit. And it's like, bro, like shut the fuck up. Just cause someone's from the same country as McGregor does not mean he's trying to be McGregor. And not only that, what I respect about Ian Gary, you know, a few of the things I respect about Ian Gary, I respect him a lot. So where do I start? I mean, there's a guy that, you know, he already had gone five rounds on his regional scene before he got to the UFC. I've seen him get taken down, pop back up. I've seen all elements of his game. I've seen his chin. I've seen his toughness. I mean, he's not just a pretty boy. Like this guy is a real fighter. And, and he's willing to dig deep. He's willing to go through it. But when he can get off on his game, super long, six foot three, got that long reach. And his combinations, once he starts to feel like the octagon is his home, I really do think that this is a prospect to look out for, man. And, you know, I did bet on him in the Darian Weeks fight. I did bet on him on the Gabriel Green fight. But, you know, I got like minus 155 against uh, Gabriel Green, um, and like minus 230 against uh, Darian Weeks. Now I have to pay minus 800 against Keenan. And I mean, it's like, here's the thing about Keenan. Keenan can crack. <laughs> like, if there's one thing about Keenan, he's got a big right hand. But aside that, the volume's on the lower side. Aside that, he can be taken down. Uh, aside that, he can be knocked out. And um, I, I actually really like what the UFC are doing here. You know, a lot of people are criticizing them for, you know, like, why, why is Ian Gary... Uh, you know, getting gifted all these matchups. And I, I think that that's not fair. I think that there's things you guys got to understand. Like the kid's 25. He's just a kid. And 
also the way the first three UFC fights went, like he clearly won all three of them. But you know, if he was just starching all these guys easily, not getting touched, then you give him, you know, that bigger step up in competition. But because you know these fights have been going three rounds and he's only 25 give him a little more time to develop like let him feel comfortable inside the octagon that's why keenan songs you know a good a good test for him you know uh, ian's only 10 and 0 keenan songs had 25 pro fights keenan song has more knockouts in the ufc than than ian gary so like what i'm trying to say is that despite the odds this is a good next up next step up the ladder for for keenan uh for uh ian gary man and I think it's when he passes, man. It's just like we can't just rush Ian Gary to the top 15 when he's only three fights deep and he's 25 years old. Like, how's this kid going to look when he's 27 years old? So that's why we give him matchups like this. We let him get his confidence, let him get a couple highlight reel knockouts, and then we talk about moving him into a prospect showdown, a top 15 match, whatever the case may be. But perfect next step for him. And I think he passes with flying colors. And I think there's a chance he even comes out here and knocks him out. So I'm going to go with Ian Gary here. Now, this next one I have a bet on. So next up in the bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Mana Martinez. He's 10-3, and taking on Cameron Simon, who is 7-0. And currently, they got it. Cameron Simon minus 300. The comeback on Mana Martinez is plus 250. So, yeah, right as of right now, I took a one unit shot on Mana Martinez at plus 250. Um, I thought that these, I thought that the line was a bit wide for a lot of reasons. Firstly, I got a lot of respect for Cameron Simon. I like Cameron Simon. I mean, what's there not to like? Like, you watch his contender series fight and his UFC fight, and he solidly lost the first seven minutes of both those fights man and made some fantastic adjustments you know on the wang kim fight on contenders like wang king was lighting was lighting my boy up with some big body kicks and but listen simon super tough he hung in there and that third round got a nasty knockout next fight um when he welcomed Coslo to the ufc you know Coslo was doing his thing for about seven minutes but then i don't know if you'll remember uh cameron simon landed this disgusting illegal knee like i'm talking like a bad 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 illegal knee like the dude needed to take all five minutes and everything um but he was like i ain't no bitch i ain't no bitch so he could have got a dq win but i ain't no bitch so he wanted to go in there and keep fighting and it cost him because all he had to do was survive the last round and he would have made it to a draw um so basically what I'm trying to say is like when, when you talk about a minus 300 favorite, you know, minus 300 favorite shouldn't come out here and lose the first seven minutes of every fight. Um, and against Mana Martinez, you know, Mana Martinez ain't no Steve Coslow who's six and oh, you know, never fought anybody. Mana Martinez ain't Wang Guan Kim or whatever. Like, bro, like, 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 stop it. Like Mana Martinez is a dude that like he's already been in there with seven UFC or contender series vets already and he's still young and the thing about mana is that he hasn't even shown what he's capable of in the ufc yet if you watch mana martinez's regional fights i mean he was like the bantamweight and ganu man like he was sli- like sleep 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 sleeping dudes like i'm talking death touch sleeping i'm talking like and, and not just against like ricky tercios 
dude in the UFC. Uh, Jose Johnson, dude in the UFC. Like he was fighting legit guys that are in the UFC and knocking them dead, man. Knocking them dead. And he gets to the UFC. And even though his two wins, the the Guido one and the the Brandon Davis one, even though they weren't quite up to the the standard I had hoped for in terms of, you know, I wanted knockouts in both. Um, he still showed some things, and I still think he clearly won both. So I was surprised they were split. But show some other elements of his game. He can get takedowns as well. He's starting to feel more comfortable in there. And, and kind of like Ian Gary, I feel like when Mana Martinez starts to, you know, feel like the octagon is, is his home, I think you're going to start seeing those one-punch knockouts like we used to see back on his regional. Because on his regional scene, I was like, God damn, who's this kid? It just hasn't quite translated yet, but he's also young. How, how old is this kid? What, 25, 26? Hold on. Let me, let me find out what this dude is. He's got to be 25, 26, right? Yeah, he's 26. You know what I'm saying? He's just a kid. Um, He's not as much of a kid as the guy he's fighting. The guy he's fighting, he's like 21, 22. Uh, so, you know, but you got to understand, the guys that man I fought in the UFC were like real vets, man. Like they might not win all the fights, but like they're tough outs and you know, that's some more season. That's some more experience. Whereas now you're fighting a guy, you know, who's had about half the fights you've had and is, you know, scraping these wins out at the last minute. I mean, I just can't get to minus 300 on Simon. Like, minus 300 on Simon implies that Simon's just going to come out here. Simon is just going to come out here, spinning, kick this guy in the face one time, and let's call it a night because Cameron does have a great kicking game. Cameron is a tough kid. I like Cameron. Trains with Drickers. I like everything about him. I just don't understand minus 300 in the spot. This is the most experienced guy you've ever fought. This is the best guy you've ever fought. And this guy is starting to come into his own, hopefully. I want to see... I want to see that breakout performance. I've been waiting for it. Hopefully, this is his coming out party. Because if you want, like I said, go watch Mana Martinez regional fights. And it was like, God damn, like this guy's gonna be on the UFC soon. Like he was sleep, sleeping these dudes. Like his, he had like melatonin in his hands, man. So if he can get back to that and start to feel a little more comfortable, then you know, I'm down to see what he does. And also, you know, he used to train with James Krause, but now he's back in Texas training with, uh, I think the guy's name is Bob Perez, you know, uh, Derek Lewis's old coach. So, you know, uh, man, I said that he used to knock out a lot of, a lot of coach Perez's students. So coach Perez brought him on, you know what I'm saying? Um, so hopefully they can, you know, make him feel a little more comfortable and hopefully he can get that first UFC knockout, but if not a win. So either way, I thought this line was off. So as of right now, I put one unit on mana plus 250, considering putting another unit on it. But as of this podcast, on Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time, I've only played him for one unit. And um, y'all know where to look when I add more bets. My Twitter, at Best Fight Picks. My betmma.tips slash Best Fight Picks. Um, and yeah. So, Mana Martinez is my pick and my bet here, plus 250. So, we got a couple more fights. After I do these last uh, few fights, I'll do the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. And then uh, I'm down to answer any questions. So, y'all feel free to ask me some questions. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Jessica Panay. She's 14 and 6, taking on Tabitha Ricci, who's 7 and 1. Currently, they got it. Tabitha minus 300. The comeback on Jessica plus 250. I mean, Tabitha was like only like 
Wasn't she like only like minus one fifty the first time they fought? Now she's like minus three hundred. So I'm all good on that. Um, you know, she's got a slick jujitsu game. I, I don't think it's, you know, the way people kind of hyped it up when she first came into the UFC. But you know, she's still solid on the mat. Um, Jessica's solid on the mat too. Jessica's got some nice back takes. My issue is Jessica's forty years old, and you know, credit to Jessica because remember when she like tr- tried to change her biological passport and she was going through all that stuff. Um, she actually came back and beat some people. You know, beat Godinez, beat uh, Carolina. So she did some things, but that last fight against uh, Ducote, you know, she really got chopped down with those leg kicks and was kind of showing just a bit of a decline, kind of like what we saw. Prior to those two wins, she got somehow. Um, and with Tabitha, you know, I can't sit here and act like I'm overly impressive, but I just think she'll be a little bit more youthful, you know, just have that 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 vigor about her and uh, just go out there and just slightly out-hustle someone that. What was the age difference here? Let's check out the age difference here real quick. Yeah, I mean, bro, <laughs> the age difference, what, 12-year age difference? So, yeah, uh, I'm going to go with Tabitha. Just know younger fresher but i'm good on that minus 300 uh next up in the bantamweight division we got a match between farid basharad he's nine and no taking on damon blackshears 12 4 and 1 and currently they got a farid basharad minus 410 the comeback on damon blackshears plus 330 so damon you know he's a guy that's paid his dues on on the regional scene kind of reminds me of like no disrespect, but like a poor man's Aljamain Sterling, you know, he does have a bunch of funky submissions on, on on his record. And, you know, you don't want this guy on your back. You don't want this guy, you know, dang, you know, dangling off your neck. You don't want him grabbing one of your, one of your limbs. He's athletic. He, he can pull some stuff off, but Farid, you know, similar to Farid's brother, um, ha, uh, Javid, Farid's a mean dude, man. And Farid's got insane output and, and when you want to talk about insane output like can i can i can i read you farid's number on this contender series fight like do you want to know what gorgeous numbers are let, let, let me let me tell you what gorgeous numbers are <laughs> look at this look, look at the difference look, look at this strike differential right farid outstruck this dude he fought on contender series 163 to 39 on total strikes right like god damn man like that that's some output and a half and in addition to that because some of y'all were you know making a bullshit about how well valentino's output's low because these fights are going to the ground yeah well farid landed three takedowns in this fight and still landed 163 strikes so three takedowns 163 significant strikes yeah don't don't even try me on no bullshit all right so this guy's output's absolutely insane. It just comes down to can Demond do some funky backpacking Aljamain shit to him, um, and and of course you got to bring up the line, you know, minus four something, minus five hundred, probably not much value in there. So I get it. And Demond's experience. Demond did lose to Chris Moutinho a long time ago, but still happened. Uh, but but that that being said, man, I'm going for Reed. Uh, to get it done, man. I like the Basharat brothers. I love their val- their volume, their output. I love what they stand for. They're prideful individuals, but they're respectful individuals. Um, I like them a lot, and I think they're the future from Afghanistan, man. I mean, like, you remember when my boy Saeed, uh, not Saeed, uh, C.R. Bahudrizada, uh, he was actually like one of my first interviews on Half the Battle back in the day. Check that out. Um, 
CR Bahar Rizada. Like, man, we talked about, he was like walking over dead bodies in Afghanistan. Like, like he was doing all, he like dude, dude was living that life, man. And made it all the way to the UFC. So I'm inspired by stories like that. And yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, I got Fareed. Um, now last but not least, and now's a good time for y'all to submit some fan questions. So the way I'm gonna do it from now on is I'm, I'm gonna get to the fan questions at the end of the show. Um, I've been advised that that's the best way to do it. And some of the stuff y'all already said, I read it, but I'll, I'll just respond to it at the end of the show. So yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all give me a like, uh, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button. And when this is over, leave me some comments, share all that stuff. I truly appreciate it. But last but not least, we got a matchup in the lightweight division between Loic Radzhabov. He's 16 and four, taking on Esteban Ribovics, um, who's 11 and 0. But like, you know, it's funny. Y'all ever played FIFA before? And like, y'all know how like the stock, um, commentator is british right you can change it to spanish which i think is more intense because like then you hear them going go you know all that so like i I love uh in spanish it's a lot more intense but if you have like the stock british commentator on there um, i feel like you know um, esteban ribovics that's probably how you pronounce his name i feel like uh the british dude would be like esteban ribovich so uh esteban ribovich look he's he's an exciting counter striker he's a guy that uh comes from argentina so like y'all know how i feel about my argentines man like a lot of pride a lot of spirit you're not going to win an argument they're very stubborn it's just you know that part of the world hasn't quite developed like you want them to but to this man's credit he's a kid that you know he's in the states training at uh Kilcliffe, uh sanford but interestingly enough guess who also is training at that exact same gym his opponent, <laughs> uh, Loic Ratzabov. And funny, I forgot to mention this. When I was talking about the Brunson and Duplessis fight, when Duplessis is in the States, he does his, his training at, San, at Killcliffe, just like Brunson. Pretty funny, right? So we got two guys uh, on this, four guys on this card that train at, uh, at Killcliffe fighting each other, Derek and Duplessis and Loic Ratzabov and um, Esteban Ribovich. So, look, the deal with, with Loic is, like, I mean, look at the level of competition he's beat. Beat Chris Wade uh, unanimously. You know what I'm saying? Beat Alex Martinez, who was a stud in PFL. You know, went the full five with uh, Haush Manfio, the champ. Like So, like, this dude has been around the block. He's fought legit competition. Uh, my and, and then Rebovics, like I said, tough Argentine, good counterboxing, not the best takedown defense. But he can't get back up, and he will fight. So I respect him. But here's the thing. I'm worried about the short notice. And the reason why, usually I didn't care too much about short notice because I thought a lot of these guys would be in great shape. Like, for example, last week I bet on Charles Johnson against O'Day, right? And from everything I could see, Charles Johnson, you see his Instagram. He's ripped. He's got a six-pack. He's been training in Thailand. It seems like, hey, short notice, no problem. Like, this motherfucker's going to come out here in the best shape of his life. And then, like, the fight gets changed to a catch weight at 130 pounds. And then after the fight, you find out Charles Johnson had a sinus infection and he's gassing out in rounds two and three, which is like something he never used to do in any of his fights. So reason I bring that up is because like, I'm worried that Loic is not at hundred percent. Like he took this fight on a week notice. Like, are we like, yeah, you're the better fighter. You should be favored here, man. Like, and if you're at your best, I mean, look at the guys you've been in there with, man. Like you went five rounds with Natan Schulte, bro. Like, 
all respect. Like, you're the better dude here. It's just about, like, are we getting you at your best? Because, like, with Charles, I still think Charles Johnson's a better fighter than Ode Osborne. I just think that Charles Johnson had a sinus infection and couldn't breathe after round one. You know what I'm saying? That fight was in slow motion. I expected Ode to slow down like he always does past round one, but I thought that Charles Johnson was known for insane cardio, but sinus infection, short notice, catch weights, blah, blah, blah. So now, okay, I'm trying to learn a lesson. Is that same bullshit going to happen here with uh, Loic? Like, is Loic showing up, you know, like we want him to? I mean, at least the fight hasn't been changed to a catch weight, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, but, yeah, so I'm going to go low it because I think he's more well-rounded. I think he can mix things up. I think he can fight anywhere this fight goes, whereas Esteban just mostly dangerous with his hands. Um, but if if you see the weigh-ins and Loic's got some some love handles of Loic, uh, you know, I mean, this this, this kid, Est, Esteban Ribovic, or Esteban Ribovic, he's never gone to a decision in his life, man. Like, like. He's just not experienced. He's never fought anybody. Um, but listen, Rad Sabah, Loic, don't come in here with no love handles and you know sinus infections and any bullshit. And you should get this done. So yeah, I'll go Loic. All right. So now I'm gonna talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. You'll do me that big favor. Smash the like button, hit the subscribe, and drop me some some comments and some questions. I'll be happy to answer them. So fight to watch. So this is this is a tough one. All right, I'd say the fight to watch is Jeff Neal over Shafkat. I understand it's a minus five hundred line, but when Jeff Neal's at the best of his game, he's not a guy that's going to look plus four hundred in this spot. If he's looking like he did off his deathbed, maybe so. But regardless, I want to know how good this guy Shafkat is. And if Shafkat comes out here and just gets rid of Jeff Neal, which I don't think has happened in a very long time to like pre UFC. Hey, man. Hey, you're the real deal. And Jeff Neal, you get this win. I mean, you just derailed a hype train. You know, people are saying this guy's going to be a champ. I was never on that boat, not saying he can't be. But like I said, I noticed something more special in Jamal Hill. I noticed something more special in. Um, fuck, what was the example? I was just about to name. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, oh, yeah. Hamza Chimaev. Hamza Chimaev. I, like like when I saw those guys, I didn't have much questions about future greatness. Whereas I'm not saying that Shafkat can't be that guy. I just still need to see a little bit more. And Jeff Neal is going to give him a fight. So for that reason, that's my fight to watch. My fighter to watch, Mana Martinez. Look, man, on his regional scene, he was absolutely killing dudes. Like one punch knockouts. He was like the bantamweight in Ganu. And in the UFC, he's only 25 years old. Like, it hasn't quite, you know, just hasn't quite materialized, but sometimes these kids need to start feeling a bit more comfortable in there, get their feet wet. Like Manel Cap, for example. Manel Cap lost his first two UFC fights, but then he starts starting to Now he's feeling comfortable. Now he's in the title talks. Not saying, you know, Mana will be in title talks, but all I'm trying to say is sometimes you got to get your feet wet a little bit, feel like the octagon is your home before you're able to perform at your best. And now that he's had those experiences under his belt, I'm curious to see if he does perform at his best because when he does, he sleeps fools. And uh, he's got a, he's got a guy finally that's less experienced than him. So I want to see how he performs. So for that reason, Amanda Martinez is my fighter to watch. All right, y'all. Leave me those questions, comments, and I'll get to them, and then we'll wrap this up.
Aleluya. All right, I'm scrolling all the way to the top. See what the fuck y'all got to say. All right. My boy Lou in the house that smashed the like button like like Jones smashing cereal. I appreciate that. Now, Taylor says, fairly confident the only thing Jones is smashing this weekend is some bottles after he loses. I think he's smashing bottles, win, lose, or draw, my boy. Um, Io said, call me crazy, but I think Grasso pulls off the upset and dethrones Valentina. Like I said, it's one of these next three fights. Someone's going to do it, so I can see it. You got to make got to make that output count in this spot. Real talk. My boy Dominic came for the new logo, stayed for the breakdowns. I appreciate that. He also says to smash the like. What a smart guy. You know what I'm saying? Um, let's see. Taylor said, look, nothing would shock me after the Tyler fight, but he doesn't think Grasso's the girl. Not a lot of people do. I mean, Valentina is minus what? <laughs> you know? Kenshiro said, John Jones will never lose until he actually loses. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Doughboy and Nasty said, one out of ten, how good was Lincoln Park? Uh, I think Meteora is their best record, personally. Um, I think after Meteora, I wasn't feeling it. Um, but, you know, obviously RIP Chester Bennington, and they always put on a great live show. Um, so respect to them, for sure. What's up, Wiz? Shout out to my brother Dan in the chat. Shout out, shout out to my brother Wiz. Um, Jay Weezy said, what up, Dan? Why is the Super Chat not available? I always send you money when I catch half the battle live. Hey, I appreciate you asking that, man. So for some reason, like, whenever people would donate to me on here, like, I'd never get any of the money. I still haven't gotten any of the money for, like, the last three years people have been donating. YouTube's on some other shit. But I left links to um, in the description to my Cash App, my PayPal, and my Venmo. So, you know, you're no obligation at all. But if if you are feeling so inclined, uh, the info's there, and it means a lot to me, man. Thank you. Um, okay. Uh, he's asking, did John Jones do the fight at fight ready? Now, I mean, he did like a couple, like a couple months there back in the day, like back in the day, as in you know, maybe like six months ago. But like, no, he's been doing this with his own people. Um. Abu Dhabi, what's up? You know, I met this guy, Abu Dhabi, not too long ago. Cool guy. He said, Lion hasn't moved on Shafka at all. Um, this is freaking me out. Is Neil live? Neil's only live if he's on top of his game, like he was against Bilal, like he was against Luke. But if he's like he was on his deathbed against Magni and Wonderboy, then he's not live. Um, This guy says John Jones is old and his bones are brittle. He's had a lot of wear and tear on his body. Are you like quoting Chael Sonnen or or, or did you come up with this yourself? He said he's going to be outmatched by Gan, who's younger, faster, and more power. Let's see. Let's see. Jay Weezy said your boy Chinese Connor got murked by the guy you said had below average PI results. Well, I mean, it's facts. PI said he did have below average results. I didn't make that up. You know what I'm saying? Hey, shit happens. People get caught. When when the real Connor was on his come up, he got stopped in the first round like two, three times before he came to the UFC. So there's growing pains, but I still think Japanese Connor is a talented kid. So it was what it was. I mean, I can't go back and watch his regional fights and, and not be still be impressed. So 
you know, everybody loses for the most part. Um, uh, let's see. Jared said, we also saw Francis make good jumps in defensive wrestling in the fight prior against Stipe. Very good point. Very good point. Because I bet Stipe in that fight, I loved it. I didn't expect it there, but I loved it. He he did fucking suplex or, I don't remember if he suplex or blast double Stipe, but he took his ass down. So then the next fight, when I bet on Francis against Ghana, like plus 120, plus 130, I don't remember. Um, look, yeah, I thought he was going to knock him out, but I wasn't that shocked that he took him down because he took down his prior opponent who was a D1 wrestler. Um, <laughs> also, unlike Jones, Ghan is a natural heavyweight and he's got incredible cardio. How do you, how do, how do you know he's a natural heavyweight? You, uh, you have a sample of his piss somewhere? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Taylor said Santos had no knees and was a beast against who? Uh, come on, bro. Don't, don't. Yeah, I mean, he knocked out Jan Blahovic and like a bunch of other dudes. There's a reason he's like top 10 most knockouts in the history of the sport. You don't got to discredit someone to, to pick someone. You know, you can show guys respect. Um, Marcus says, Gone is the clear bet to make at underdog money. Jones will be 36 in July. He'll be slow and even less explosive than he was with Reyes and Santos. Too many living in the past with Jones at 205. Yeah, people live in the past all the time, 100%. Um, but, you know, greatness is greatness. And you know, I've seen GSP, one of the other all-time greats, come back from like a three-year layoff and look better than ever. So um seen Dominic Cruz come back from a three-year layoff and win a belt. So with the greats, it's different. Even though I hear your point, but with the grades, it's different. Um, let's see. Uh, but this, Marcus, I, I, don't, I don't get, bro. Saying you don't understand why people think Jones is going to dominate heavyweight creeping up on 36 in age. Bro, I so disagree with that. Be, on just the age being the merit for your reasoning like we're talking heavyweight we're not talking bantamweight we're talking heavyweight 36 is not old for a heavyweight i've seen dudes go out there in their 40s and win belts like randy couture won a belt a heavyweight in his 40s then fucking uh how old are stipe and how old was word doom when he won his belt man like i'm telling y'all bro like heavyweight these dudes get second wins as they get up there in age uh and isn't francis like 36 also so yeah 36 heavyweight is not old dude 36 flyweight bantamweight that's old but heavyweight nah dog i disagree on that um my boy brandon dan the goat i appreciate that man my boy leo in here leo um Dom says we are getting triple C Johns. Are we? Are we? His training partners would get dog walked by Gone. Yeah, but that's irrelevant, dude. Like, I feel like some of y'all don't understand that the gym is different than the fight. Like, you don't bring in world champions to train with you. Uh, you just need bodies and and Shark Tank rounds where 
you're not fresh, but these guys are fresh for one round. And then you cycle them out round by round by round. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I think this comment is insanely irrelevant. Um, let's see. All right. Sorry, there's so many questions here. That's why it's, uh, That's why it's taking me a second. Jared says the time is coming for Val, but I don't quite think it's yet. Blanchfield, though, Jersey stand up. Hey, shout out to my girl Blanchfield, cashing them dog odds. <laughs> my boy said Grasso is better in the ego department. Interesting. I never thought about that. Um, Dominic said Shaftcat's better than Hamza. Hard disagree on that, bro. Hard disagree. No, he's not. Um, Neil is going to be embarrassed on Saturday. Shafkat going to destroy this dude. Okay. I'll, I'll be tuning in. Let's see if that's the case. Let's see if that's the case. Oh, what's up, my boy? Got my boy Leo back in the house. You want to help me answer these final questions, bro? Um. Mitar said, are we fading Derek Bronson? Hey, it's profitable. I've faded Derek Bronson many times throughout the years and always been profitable. Um, AO said, Gamrod is going to dominate Turner. Yeah, if only if he gets his uh, low single game going. Um, Drick is going to knock this dude out. Let's see. Depends which Marquez shows up. I mean, how many different versions of Marquez are there? You know what I'm saying? Like, even when he was at his best, like, still couldn't win a decision. Um, he's just a, you know, one of these guys that um, is an opportunistic finisher. All right, let's answer some of these questions like this. Uh, Bruce said, Dan, would it be interesting to hear your recap and opinion on the funky queen Jordan Levitt win? Yeah, you know, I got that one wrong. But, you know, when I when I view, like, my handicapping, um, you know, sometimes it's easy to be like, well, all you, all, all you talked about is how he twerked and this and that. But I don't let that shit affect my betting. Because, like, last week when I talked shit about Alex Hernandez, you know, I, I didn't bet Jim Miller. So it's all about the price and – you know, I'm able to separate the talk. The talk is to entertain y'all and to have fun, but the thing about it is when I was capping this fight, can y'all point one example to me of uh, Jordan Levitt showing any indication of any kind of early first-round knockout power? I mean, with the slam against Wyman, I'm talking about, like, with hands, with knees. If y'all can show me, like, because like, I, I, I want to learn from my mistakes. And if there was a fight that I missed or something that some kind of error in my handicapping where I missed the possibility of Jordan Levitt getting a first round knockout in a UFC fight, then I'm willing to go rewatch it and be like, you know what? I, sh I should have looked at this as evidence and, and considered it. But, you know, what I was worried about was Jordan Levitt taking him down and taking his back. Um, Jordan Levitt getting a first round knockout was never on my bingo card and was never like an option. And if, one of y'all thought that Jordan Levitt was going to get a, you know, have a lot of success standing, then like, dude, fantastic call. But 
you know, I put the work in and there was no evidence that you'd have any success standing. Um, as far as I could see, maybe I missed something. So to me that I didn't even view like that was a knock on my process. It'd be a knock on my process. If I saw Jordan Levitt rock dudes and, and hurt dudes and finish dudes with strikes and all these things, then I'd be like, man, how did I overlook that? But I don't feel like I overlooked shit. Um, I was just wrong period. And that's that. And I will be wrong again because I make a lot of bets and I've been in this game a long time. So, and, and then do we, I get these fucking comments. This one dude loves to be like, Oh, you picked that 23 and oh Russian and this and that. And it's like, bro, like, I didn't bet that 23 and 0 Russian, but I picked him. Like, like, but like he'll give me shit about that, but he won't comment on like I bet three units on Aaron Blanchfield plus 150, I think. Won't won't mention that. Won't mention the Brendan Allen sharp ass dog bet. Won't mention the Jasmine Jostavicius dog bet. But we'll mention uh Le- the Le- the Levitt fade as if you knew Levitt was gonna get a first round knockout. If Levitt submitted this guy or had a bunch of ground success, then it's like, you know what? There was an error in my handicapping. But if one of y'all can show me any kind of evidence of what I missed in my research showing that Levitt was going to have success standing, then I'm willing to admit I was wrong. To me, I just take it on the chin and move on. You know, it's we just started March. There's there's a lot a long time to go in this year. Um where do I see the most value? I mean, I bet on Mana Martinez plus 250. Um, does the short notice for Gamrot concern me? Now, I hear that guy's always in the gym, but again, if he needs a catch weight and, you know, pulls what Charles Johnson pulled, comes in here with a sinus infection, then I'll be worried. And if he fights at range, I'll be worried too. But if he gets on on that, you know, that low single series, he should be fine. What's up, MMA girly? She says, going shove, second round sub. All right, all right, I'll see it. No, I don't think anyone's ever subbed Jeff before. Uh, maybe not for a long time, so, yeah, let's see. Cheeto, too. Yeah, you know Cheeto's one of those guys that's just elite mindset. Uh, Joe said, I'm with you on Mana, but, yo, what the fuck was that versus Brandon Davis? I mean, what the fuck was what? I mean, clearly won the first round, dropped him twice in the second round, coasted in the third round. That's 29-28. Um, I thought it should have been unanimous, <laughs> you know. Joe said, Don't you love when these guys, these clowns come out here at your throat over one wrong prediction? But then they won't say shit about actual bets, right? Like, it's all good, man. This is this is part of the game, man. I don't take it personally. They also won't show their faces. They won't go side by side, you know, with me on here. And it's it's all good, brother. It's all good, all good, all good. Um, Tyler says not being able to get uh, one legged Tiago down was a red flag. Um, yeah, you know, I understand that point, but what you also got to understand is that Jones only shot one takedown in that fight. He wanted to kickbox. He, like I said at the beginning of the show. Jones likes to beat guys at their own game. So he just wanted to kickbox with Tiago. Tried one little half-assed takedown and got stuffed. It's not like he tried. He, he attempted 10 takedowns and they all got stuffed. He, one little half-assed takedown got stuffed. All right, I'm going to keep striking with this guy. You know, that, that's I think that's what that was. And he outstruck him, by the way. Um, but 
Bold says the argument is stupid. DC was double champ at 40 or almost 40. Exactly. 36 at heavyweight is not old, guys. Heavyweight, they're like a fine wine. They get better with time. Um, uh, get five first. Uh, <laughs> said who would be my top dk play uh don't ask me that what you all need to do for my top dk play is this y'all need to go to dailyfanmma.com slash bfp use my promo code bfp285 and get all of brett apley's content for free for this card that that'll give you a top dk play like he's unbelievable with this stuff so like i said y'all we're no strings attached you don't have to you know you know, pay a little bit, and then you know, I'm saying Brett Apley is giving these his content this week for free for half the battle listeners. DailyFanMMA.com/slash/BFP. Use my code BFP285. Get get his top DraftKings content for free this week, man. I mean, I don't understand what y'all got to lose. Um, thoughts on Kevin Lee versus Neil Magny matchup? Is that happening, or is that uh? just a fantasy match um let's see bruce said good articulation thanks i was surprised and wrong too shit happens bro we're gonna be wrong a lot more times my boy um All right, y'all, last call. Last call for questions. Last call, last call, last call. Brett is good. Brett is very good, people. I know Brett Apley very, very personally, and I, I I hold him right up there, right up there, man. I mean, he's my friend, too, but I'm saying, like, as far as the content is concerned. So, I mean, y'all have y'all got to take advantage of this shit. It's free. Um, Dan kind of slaty today. Did you mean salty? I ain't salty, dog. Come on, man! You just can't come at me with bullshit, man. You know, I'll, you know, you know. Uh, I got zero tolerance for, uh, you know, for making bullshit up. <laughs> and I like you, brother. You know what I'm saying? But we can go side by side and debate these exact topics. And uh, should we do that? Should we do that? Do I have time? Come on, come on. Tell me what tell, tell me what I'm salty about. Here's the link, but I only got like five minutes before my camera dies. So, um, so you got like two minutes to enter here. My boy, pound for pound, dad boss. I'm glad I got to catch this one live again. Thanks for the breakdowns, Dan. Keeping it real as always. That's that's all I try to do. Some people can't take it. it is what it is. But hey. Open invite to come tell me how salty I am. And I, I, you know, I respect you too. You've been around here a long time, but respectfully disagree on that. Um, but TikTok, TikTok, click that link. Tell me, tell me what's up, bro. Um, but yeah, if, if he's not going to tell me what's up, then I just want to tell you all, thank you all so much for being here. For me, it truly means the world to me. And, um, you know, y'all been showing me so much support and, like i'm just grateful you know I, I can't say enough besides the fact that i'm truly grateful for everything y'all have shown me and you know let's just keep it going let's just keep it going you know so 
smash smash that like button for me even if you agree or disagree you know we're just here for our love for the sport and you know we're we're allowed to disagree on stuff but but we can be respectful about it you know um so smash the like hit the subscribe share after this is over leave me a comment and uh let me know what y'all think john jones is gonna weigh in at on friday i'm curious about that and then on thursday night at seven eastern i'm gonna go live with uh technical tim and brett apley and uh gugabe they got their show and they invited me on so i'm grateful you know i'm very happy to be there so yeah but again guys thank you all so much for everything truly truly appreciate it stay positive love your life quoting 311 out here and until the next time let's cash these bets